0: welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. Yeah, so what we're all hoping to get towards is a sustainable equilibrium for a family system, right? And, that's, and I call this new equilibrium because often parents first come to PDA when their child reaches burnout, and it's very clear that it's not non-PDA, autism, ADHD, or bad behavior. And the reason I call it new equilibrium is because it has to reflect a different lifestyle, a different way to relate to your child but it is a stable place okay so i'm going to start with a story because it's going to illustrate some of the like nine key points i want to make as a foundation for us before we dive into the workshopping so three years ago i did i did not know about pda okay i had left my career and my son was absolutely in crisis like he had to be carried places he was barely eating you know i know this isn't pc but he was very much a feral animal in terms of like every time i got near him when he was activated he would attack or scream or sort of run away and um, during that time period, you know, we were like setting up occupational therapy. I was trying to figure out a way for him to be in um, a caregiving situation so I could recover my nervous system. I had just left a career that I liked in Washington, DC and moved to where I am now in a small town in Michigan. But the pandemic hit two weeks two months later. And so I sort of had this controlled environment where there were no external influences. It was just me and my two sons. Um, My husband was working all the time in a pretty intense job. And I had no therapy, no school, no, no family that could visit. So it was like five months of a controlled setting. And during that time period, I think the boundary, which we don't often think as a boundary, but it is. The most difficult boundary was not like trying to make him wash his hands which would result in huge meltdowns right and resistance um, and i remember thinking like how is this possible because it was the pandemic early on and i was like you have to wash your hands right but it was actually the boundary of removing my undivided attention and complete focus on him that i felt like i needed to set in order to sustain my nervous system because at that time he was so burnt out and his nervous system needed so much support that if i diverted my attention at all to do something like cooking or cleaning or speak to my husband or even if i would divert my attention while we were sitting on the couch watching a show he would start to escalate and i saw this pattern and i remember one time i was like i'm just going to see what happens if i continue to make the spaghetti on the um on the oven and he just escalated into this enormous meltdown and i'm going to use this boundary as an illustration because Because it's one that's so impactful for the family system because it's actually like directly impacting the caregiver's nervous system to not have that flexibility to say, like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to divert my attention to look at my phone. I'm going to talk to my spouse or a friend on the phone. I'm going to go into another room. Right. So this is that undivided attention needing that constant co-regulation during burnout. And when I started to learn about PDA, I realized that this was not just autonomy, low demand, um, flexibility, freedom and choice. But the other side of the coin was actually that that need for constant signals of nervous system safety from a safe nervous system, which was me. And during that time, I had very, very few boundaries around it because I realized that the cost of me taking away my nervous system was so high because it was impacting his ability to eat, to sleep, to toilet, to move his legs, right? And so that's a very stark trade-off. However, I want to highlight that because now three years later... He's still PDA and he still has much of that need for undivided attention. But I can set some boundaries once I've put in, you know, like on a weekend, I my husband and I might reach like 4 p.m. after one of us is with each kid all day. And my son would be walking around and saying, I'm bored, mama. I don't know what to do. I'm bored. Like the second we remove our attention. And we are at the point where we can say either set something up for him or say, like, mommy and daddy are done playing now. And he, although it activates him, it doesn't tip him into the same spiral that we saw three years ago. And he can actually tolerate it sometimes to the point where he can actually find something to do. So that's general baseline. But right now, my son is trying to get rid of his pacifier he's almost 8 and it's his primary source of oral regulation and it was also my 4-year-old my my younger son just turned 4 on Monday. So this is what's going on in the background and therefore he's much more activated this past couple weeks trying to get rid of the pacifier, the the birthday party. And so I have had to flexibly adjust my boundaries given where he's at in terms of regulation. Okay, so this, this, the reason I give you this anecdote is because it illustrates some big picture ways of thinking about things that you're gonna wanna have in mind when you're making decisions. Okay, so the first fundamental truth, which is really triggering to parents, it was triggering to me when I like grounded into this truth was the fact that, Anytime the child's brain perceives a loss of autonomy or equality to you, which is basically any time you set a limit, say no, or enforce a boundary, there will be nervous system activation. That's true whether or not they're in burnout. That is the nervous system disability. That is the neurotype. Okay. So, however, that's not like to say that you can never ever set boundaries, but we have to be very aware of where your child is in burnout versus recovery versus equilibrium, okay? Because if I had tried to set the boundaries that I set now three years ago when I was learning his neurotype, understanding how to accommodate him, setting up systems of care and building trust, it would have backfired completely. Okay, so that's the first thing we always want to be thinking about and understanding that the goal is to get the child out of their survival brain. And paradoxically, that means we can't be setting a lot of boundaries, placing limits, saying no, because it just keeps them there. But what we want to do is build a window where they're not just right at their threshold all the time, which is burnout. So that when you do have to set a boundary or a limit, they still activate, but they're not going into like complete fight flight or being disabled from accessing the basic needs that they need to live. Okay. So those are the first two like truths. (laughs) How is this landing so far? Is this making sense? thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay. The third point, which is part of learning to manage a child with this disability and what you're going to be modeling for them as a parent is tracking their regulation levels, especially once they're out of burnout and allowing yourself to flexibly adjust according to those regulation levels, right? So instead of having a rule of like Cooper, Every time it's a Saturday, you have to play by yourself one hour, right? Which is our instinct a lot of times as parents, especially if we're exhausted. The rule becomes like something you have to enforce. You're trying to control his behavior, and it's something that he will fixate on because it's like a loss of autonomy versus me understanding I can only tolerate this amount in in general as my baseline. And once I feel like I'm past my point, I say, mommy's done playing now. That's about me me saying, this is what I'm doing, right? But I have to do that according to what his regulation levels are. If I do that this weekend, <laughs> when he's trying to get rid of a pacifier, and basically it's like he's quitting smoking, it's not gonna work, right? So we really have to start to get into the mindset of like allowing ourselves to be attuned to the regulation levels in the same way that you would be a parent with a a diabetic child monitoring insulin levels, okay? And so that's why we focus on boundaries because the boundary itself is like mommy can't be, mommy has to be safe and well, So does Cooper, right? But how that looks in any given moment in this period of our family system can fluctuate, right? Like I know my nervous system can handle giving him that undivided attention this weekend in the context of him giving up his pacifier. Okay, but this if you are someone who is starting this journey and moving from a traditional way of parenting, which is based on rules and you enforcing them, this is a very different way of thinking, okay? So the things that are going to come up in your mind are, don't I have to be an authority? If I, if I like don't enforce this rule, doesn't it mean they're in control, right? You feel like you're reinforcing bad behavior, but the mindset shift is like, oh, I'm tracking regulation. I'm seeing where they're operating from. Is it the survival brain or the rational brain? And if it's the survival brain, I'm gonna adjust and make sure I get him out of the survival brain, okay? So this is where we get to the triggery part. I mean, this is probably, I think, the hardest thing I teach. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh because it's like it feels like there's just such constraints as a parent but if we can see it clearly it can be freeing okay so our choice and our decision making is constrained because of our child's brain okay so we constantly have a choice whether we realize it or not then it's twofold we're either activating or accommodating our chi- child's nervous system so for those of you who are dropping boundaries in every in any given moment you have a choice this is the same choice for those of you who are introducing boundaries which is a cost benefit decision right and knowing how your child's brain works we have to understand that every time there's a loss of autonomy or perceived equality there's a, a trust cost and a nervous system cost and it accumulates right? So it's not just in the moment, it builds. And that cost benefit is what we have to think about every time we're deciding, is this really worth it, right? Is it worth it to ask my child to pick up a Twix wrapper that they threw on the floor? The benefit is they don't; ha- you don't have to pick it up. The cost is they might activate. And if they're close to their threshold, it could impact things like eating, behavior, engagement. Right. And so when you look at the causality like that, often parents are like, well, no, it's not worth it. Where we want to be careful and where things get sticky for parents, especially as they're dropping demands and making the household more flexible is. They're not seeing the cost benefit clearly because they're making decisions based on fear rather than the true cost. OK, so let me give you an example. In the case of the Twix wrapper, instead of looking in the moment, what's the cost benefit? The parent says, if I don't teach them, they have to do this now. 20 years from now, they're never going like, to be able to have a home and, and have friends and have a spouse, etc. That's the, fear. That's the fear-based cost versus the real cost because the causality is such that we have to let go of that fear in the moment because they can't learn when they're in their survival brain. Okay, let me give you an, another example. Talking back to you, I'll give you an example from this morning with my son and my husband. So he walked in my husband and the immediate thing my son says is he's like you're a fat butthead right and my husband has a choice he has a choice he can say that's not how we speak to our parents or you know given that most of you are pretty far along in your journey, it might be you're okay with it, but you're still fearful that they're going to say it outside of the home to someone else 10 years from now. And so you revert to, I hope you don't talk to, to your friends like that, or we can't say that, right? And what happens? Escalation, activation. So instead of learning, the child is going further into their survival brain, and so the choice point as a parent is, am I gonna activate or accommodate? And so it's really a matter of overriding that fear of the future and focusing on the moment and laughing it off, which my husband did, right? And of course, there's a nervous system cost as you're learning to do this. And of course, some of you may have childhood trauma and sensitive nervous systems. And so you're, we're gonna situate the cost benefit in your cost benefit and yours is gonna be different than my husband's. My cost benefit is different than my husband's because he has a different nervous system, okay? So can you guys think of times when you are acting out of the fear cost versus the true cost in the moment? Like has, is this something for any of you that drives you? to make decisions that might not serve your child. Yes. <laughs> all of us. All of us. Yeah. If you have an audience, you're 10 times more likely to do it then, of course. Yeah. And you can apply this to a lot of things like engaging in schoolwork, doing homework, you know, like leaving the house, participating in meals, all of it. But what we have to do is is really trust and look at the brain science mechanism of like, actually, paradoxically, they can't learn if if they're activating more and more, right? Okay, so that's the nugget I want to drop for you guys dropping things. For those of you adding boundaries, this is going to be where you're going to start to think about it more within the family system, right? And my f- firm belief, and some people have a different perspective than I do, but... I think the reason you're here is because you might share this is that if the lead parent is not well and alive and in the home <laughs> then nobody's okay. Okay? So we have to also situate the child's cost benefit which within the family system both with siblings and also with caregivers and parents. Okay? So here We have to be cognizant of, you know, our own tolerance and how it might change over time. Like my capacity and threshold to tolerate nervous system dysregulation. Sorry. There's like a leaf blower outside is much higher three years into this journey than it was before. Additionally, my husband has a much more regulated nervous system than I do. And so we have to incorporate that into the caregiving. Okay. I'm not gonna go like too deep into that because that's like a whole module in the paradigm shift program, but, but that's how we think about it. The hardest truth for parents, and I remember when I was there, is that desperate search for like a guru or a psychologist or a book or some magical unicorn of a person that would be like, I have the strategy to make your child not activate, okay? But if anyone's trying to sell that to you, they don't understand PDA because that is the disability, okay? But wrapping your head around that is grieving, it's hard, but it's also freeing. And so for the last thing I wanna say before we workshop, don't worry, we're gonna have time, is that ultimately this is about decision-making within constraints that are really fucking hard, okay? And it's about risk mitigation and it's about, yeah, I didn't invent the word grievy I think I heard it from somebody, <laughs> but, there are only three choices that we have. Okay. And now I'm going to get a tiny bit philosophical, but usually I don't do this, but this is truly one of the things that guides me, which is like based on Eckhart Tolle, Tara Brach, Pema Chodron, and like the idea of presence and radical acceptance in the moment, not talking about all the accommodation lifestyle leading up to the moment, but in the moment we only have three choices. We can either leave the situation, which some parents do, and I would never judge them. I've had families who have had a parent hospitalized for a time who have needed to separate for a time or in the moment when it's a violent episode, when the parent does have to remove themselves. That's one choice. Another is we can change the situation, and this is where we get really tripped up because we keep trying to change the child's brain in the moment. is not to say I don't, I I believe in neuroplasticity. I believe in healing. I believe that you can totally transform your child's like capacity to tolerate nervous system activation, meaning like they're accommodated and so they can tolerate more. But we're talking about in the moment. So when parents ask me like, how do I stop violence? We're in that moment of you can leave the situation, you can change the situation, which actually you can't, you can deescalate it. (laughs) <laughs> or you can radically accept and surrender to the moment, which is often the case with siblings of like, there's nothing I can do to actually mitigate this in the moment. And therefore, I have to accept and then act creatively, which means if I can't do this how can I think about like accepting like me on both kids right now in my life isn't working, then how can we pan out and think structurally about how to do things differently? Cause if you keep making it about you or the kid, you're going to feel terrible and feel like you're failing. The reason I share them with you is because I don't want you to spend three and a half years in like trauma cave um, or, you know, These are the points that I work through with with coaching clients and with families that I work with in programs. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. And to help you have clarity. All right. So we are, yeah, the acceptance piece is a whole, whole journey. And I'm a firm believer in allowing, you know, and this is going to happen not on this call, but like allowing all the feels, all the grief, accepting the the binary the not the binary but like both and of like you can love and accommodate and totally accept your child and also grieve the constraints that have been introduced to your life that you weren't expecting thanks everyone for being here with me at the at peace parents podcast this is your source for all things related to understanding supporting accommodating and advocating for your pda child To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the paradigm shift program. Enrollment is now open until January 11th, 2023.